Well, guys, I want to bring a message this morning that, that's entitled Overcoming Frustrations. And, you know, really the, the message is really birthed out of, out of my own heart just because there's, you know, when, when a lot's going on, whether it's in your business life, personal, family, you know, frustrations can creep in, especially if for some reason that uh, those frustrations tend to overtake you or overpower you in your thoughts or even in your actions. I and mean, I think we've all been there. Excuse me just a moment. My throat is dry. Uh, but anyway, the, the times when that happens, we have really one of two things to choose. We can choose to turn to God and seek His wisdom, His empowerment, His guidance, direction, to seek his spirit at large working and helping us through the process. Or we can choose to handle it ourselves. And we know what handling it ourselves does to us. <laughs> at first, we may think, okay, I've got it tackled. And I'm, I'm making headway. And, my, and I'm accomplishing something. And all of a sudden, we realize that beyond us, there is no power. And beyond us, there is really no help. And so the, the positive mental attitude only lasts so long. And so then we turn back to God and say, God, now I'm really in a mess. Not only have I been overcome with frustrations, now I have complicated my life because I've tried to fix it and I've broke it. I've broken it. <laughs> and I need your help. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, last, the last unit of study in my Sunday school class that we do on Tuesdays at 1 o'clock. Again, everybody's welcome to attend but via Zoom. Uh, we talked about the book of First Peter. And one of those passages of Scripture that we talked about and we probably more so than any one of them was this verse of First Peter chapter 5, uh, verse 10. And you probably already know it. It may even be a part of who you are. But it says, Now the God of all grace. Now it's good that Peter identifies that grace is from God. It's not something invented. It's not something we find in life. It is something that is giving to us as a gift from God because he's the owner he is the author. He is the giver of all grace. So now the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little. Now, I'm not changing the scriptures nor am I advocating to do so, but I like to put that and just kind of read that verse again and change it for just a moment and see if it makes a little sense. Now, the God of all grace, who called you unto himself in Christ Jesus, will personally make sure that he will restore you, he will establish you, he will strengthen you, and he will give you the support you need when you face frustrations. Makes a little sense, doesn't it? 
Now, I'm not advocating we change that verse. We stick to the original text. But to give it meaning and understanding by changing just a few words, it comes alive to us, doesn't it? And so frustrations is, don't get frustrated if you're frustrated. That's what, basically what I'm saying. We're all going to have them, but, but dealing with them and doing the right things in the process may say to one another, as well as ourselves and those around us, this is how I am connected to the God of this universe and how the God of this world and this universe is a personal Savior of mine who, who enacts and helps me to get through whatever suffering that is there for a while, frustration, difficulty, complications, mess, brokenness, whatever it is. And the great news is we go back and we know that He has the capability of establishing us. That is to put us on a firm foundation and He will establish us firmly that He will also strengthen us in the midst of our weakness. He will support us and He will gladly restore us unto where we once were. And that's God's way about doing things. Now, He may allow those frustrations, difficulty, and mess to happen just so that we can appreciate even greater the strength and the establishment and the support and the restoring that He's all about doing. So how do you overcome your frustrations? So how do you overcome these fr frustrations? Now, I would love to say I could give you a one, two, three, four, five, and when you walk out here today, you say there's, there's no way in the world that I'm ever going to deal with frustrations again because I've got it pegged. But unfortunately, I can't give you that. But I can give you something, I think, that can help you based on the Scripture that when the midst of frustrations happen, that can help you remember some profound things that you already really know in your own personal life. So I'm not giving you anything new. I'm just reminding you of that which you already have. And so what do you do when frustrations are high? Now let me give you four things that we're going to present when frustrations are high. Now number one is to delay action on big things. Now the reason why I say that, and I start with this, is because when you and I are frustrated or we're a little bit uh, stifled or we're a little bit um, at a point where we just can't put our finger on the right thing. And if we make, wrong, we make big decisions at the wrong time, it can be detrimental to us. And so in Psalm 27, verse 14, Psalm 27, verse 14, there's a wonderful reminder of what you and I are to do in the midst of frustrations. In verse 14 of Psalm 27, it says this, Wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be courageous and let your heart be strong. And then the psalm ends, Wait for the Lord. Now, when we make rash decisions... And we take quick action when we, you know, we know that we should not do that. The error comes many times in our judgments and often can add to the distress and can add to the frustration. Now, about three and a half years ago, 
I had this macular hole in my right eye. And so I had to go through the surgery of having that repaired. And some of you nurses may know the drug they give you that wipes out your memory because you're kind of in la-la land, even though you're awake and you can hear everything. I remember all through the surgery, he said it's probably going to take about uh, 45 minutes for the surgery. And the, um, the nurse put on the blood pressure cuff before they rolled me down to the operating room. And she said that blood pressure cuff is going to inflate every 10 minutes because my blood pressure was a little low that day. I was a little nervous, that sort of thing. They had to give me this little drug that makes you, makes you feel like, okay, we can handle this, you know, type thing. <laughs> and, uh, and so she said, we're going to be monitoring your blood pressure every 10 minutes. So I remember counting, and this is what I remember. I remember the surgeon. I remember counting every 10 minutes, and it puffed up five times. So when the surgery was over, I said to him, I said, Doc, it took you 47 minutes for the surgery. And he said, how did you know that? I said, because I counted the inflation of the cuffs of blood pressure on my arm. And you quit before the actual fifth one happened, so I subtracted three minutes from 50. <laughs> and, and that's all I remember. Well, when I got back and we went home and that sort of thing, Renee gets me in the recliner, I get something to eat, and apparently, whatever, I'm sitting there and I'm doing my thing, whatever that thing is. I don't remember it. I'm going by what she tells me. But I do remember her saying to me, I've got to run to the store, so make sure you don't get up. Well, that's like telling a child, this is wet paint, don't touch it. So as soon as she went out the door, apparently I got up. And I tripped over my laptop cord. My laptop, which was new, fell onto the floor and busted. And of course, with my wedding business, church, sermons, all that sort of stuff, you know, I need my laptop. That's my source of communication and so forth. So when she gets home, we apparently go to Office Depot and I buy a laptop that I have today. <laughs> so what I'm saying is this. When we make big decisions, when we aren't spiritually minded to do so, it can come back to bite us in ways that are beyond belief. And it can cause more distress and more frustration. Well, another thing happened during that time of surgery, because when I take that drug, it wipes out my memory for two or three days. And apparently, Doug Quantz come over and helped me to put up a new TV in my house that I didn't, you know, it went out during the time of my recovery. And uh, I really don't remember buying the TV and driving up there and getting it, but I do remember Doug and I, as old men, couldn't lift that big heavy TV. No, I'm just kidding, Doug. And, uh, you know, so when you make decisions, make sure the mind of your mind is connected correctly and in tune with the mind of God. Because when we are connected with Him, we're not going to make the wrong decisions. It's going to be in His timing. And the Scriptures are very clear in Psalm 27. It says, wait for the Lord. If I was to ask you to show of hands or ask those who are tuning in to send back a response, I'm sure we would all say this. I know the times where I regret the times where I did not wait on the Lord. We all understand that. 
but we also know the joy of when we did. And when we waited on him and we knew that we knew that we knew that the decision we're making is a decision guided by, established by, strengthened by, restored by the God who is answering that and putting us in place, then we know it is good. There's a great thing when we lean upon the Lord. So when we don't know which way to turn, we should delay making decisions which could affect or change the direction of our life. We must wait on the Lord until we get the right perspective. And the right perspective comes from holy God. And then we can move forward with confidence and be assured of God's direction. In your patience, you gain your soul. Luke 21, verse 19. Did you ever know that sat there in Scripture? In your patience, you gain your soul. Or in some versions, says you gain your life or you gain your lives. So that's a beautiful passage of Scripture where it's telling us that in our waiting, there is a gain that is there waiting for us if we are patient enough and we endure through whatever we're going through, that suffering for a little while, and we wait on the Lord, there is much gain. There are dividends given to us through the Spirit of God that will be mind-boggling when we realize God's answered this. He's helped me. He's embraced me. He's given me the answer that I need. Second of all, when frustrations are high, we need to devote more time to our own devotions. Now, if you're like me, when, when things are going good, you might have a routine, you may have your certain devotion or certain time, certain place in your life, and it's just, it, it all runs smooth. But then when, when some difficulty happens or you're at a point where you are stumped with what next to do, you may spend a little extra time in that devotion or study time to, seek, to find the answer that you're seeking. That's normal. But why not? devote now in the process of living life, the life that we've gained in our patience, that we devote more time to those devotions. And we become a person who is much like James chapter 4, verse 8 says. It says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Now, God doesn't need me to draw near to him for him to be near me. You know what that verse is basically saying. Draw near to God and you'll realize all along God has always been by you. And by drawing near to him, you realize his presence, you realize his power, you realize that he is a God who can restore, strengthen, establish, and support in all cases of life, whether it's frustration, difficulty, good, bad, or the ugly. He's there. And as we draw near to him, it's like, wow. I've walked through the threshold of the power and the presence of God that has always been there. And it's not because he's done anything wrong. It's because I've stepped back from that power and presence. But as I draw near to him, I realize, wow, I'm right back where I need to be. So we draw near to God and he draws near to us. In James chapter 4, verse 8. You so sometimes we may be engulfed trying to solve the problems 
that we have in life and so busy at doing that that we neglect to pray or we neglect the devotional time that we have set aside with God. We neglect to, to do what we need to do and, and that neglect may bring failure. And it's not like God is sitting there saying, I told you so. You know, us as spouses like to do that occasionally. I told you so. I don't think he's there saying, okay, I told you so. But when we face the failure, it's almost like, okay, now you're at a pivotal point, Benji. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to draw near to me this time? And I'm going to help you get through this failure? Or are you going to turn away from that and still try to solve it on your own? Because I'm not going to fix it until you ask me and you depend upon me and you give me back your heart in total commitment and be devoted to me. As we draw near to God, God comes alive in our presence because we see him greater than we've seen him before that drawing of near. Devote more time in being devoted <laughs> to the Lord God. It may answer some questions. It may help you in ways that beyond belief. Years ago, I was pastoring a church up near the Charlotte area, and this family had come to the church, and, you know, it's one of those families that can almost fill up a pew, you know, and it's the way to grow to church is you grow them families by families, and and this was one of those, and they came, and they started visiting with us several Sundays. And finally, after several weeks, we set up a time. We talked, went out to, went out to lunch. We kind of just discussed some things, and I heard a recurring theme. They've been to several churches in their lifetime, and every time something went wrong, they moved to another church. And I heard a recurring theme. So as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm, I'm going to take this on as a challenge, and I'm going to try to break the cycle and see if I can't help them break the cycle and see where, what's happened. You know, the church hoppers is what we referred to some people from time to time. And sure enough, you know, they, were, they got into, was with us for several years, into the thick of things, into the ministry, the children, uh, the teen kids we had going, the, the youth programs we had going. And just as soon as something didn't go their liking, they disappeared. And so... This, this was the cycle that I was committed to helping them. And so I knocked on their door, and they welcomed me in and, and just kind of told me the story. And I said, well, I want you to tell me the story of the first church that you became a member of. And they, they did with excitement. And they told me about it. I said, now tell me, tell me I understand y'all had another church y'all served in. And they did. And then they didn't know I heard these things when they first talked with me. And I, three times, I said, now... Wasn't there another church that you were part of? Yes, yes, there was. I said, tell me about that one. And nothing was negative. And then I turned it. I said, now, you're telling me you've been to four churches. And something, when something goes wrong, you leave. Now, I'm not going to release you as a pastor. I'm going to be a bad odor that will not go away. You can never step foot in the church, but you're going to see me. I'm going to be the pastor stalker of your life because I am determined to help you. All four times, you have difficulty and you have you left. I, I forbid you to leave. I want you to deal with the problem that's in your heart, not the problem that's in our church. And that was a good thing. And I watched things good happen. 
They did not come back to our church. That was fine. But far as I know, as of today, they're still in the church that they moved to, number five. And they've been there the longest. So I hope the cycle is broken. Do you understand what happens when we get into the, we get devotionally connected to God? That sounds like a song. No, emotionally connected. What's the song? Hopefully devoted. Yeah, okay. When we get hopelessly devoted to God, then as a result, what happens is we begin to see, you know, the problems around me may not be what's around me. It might be within me. And if I can deal with what's within me, I can deal better with what's around me. And therefore, I can deal with the frustration or the difficulty that comes our way. Go back to James 4, verse 8. Draw near to God, and He draws near to you. And He opens up the door of amazement. It's like going to the grocery store, and you're finding a shelf that's got your name on it with all your goodies. And you walk in there, and you say, Ah, this is for me. And you get as many as you can in bulk that you can buy if there's not a limit to it. And you can throw it in your buggy, and you're thinking, Ah, how good it is. That's what happens when we're hopelessly devoted to God. And we are devoted and connected with Him in all ways. We understand His power. We understand His might. And we understand that He's there to help us. So when we do not know which course of action to take, we must petition God, we must heed His word, and we must wait for His timing. Because direction is found in prayer, in patience, as well as perseverance. Now there's another verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, uh, verse 17. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 and 18. Actually, I'm going to read verse 16 through 18 of 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice always, pray constantly, and give thanks in everything, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see, when we find in the midst of that waiting, we find the powerful devotional prayer time is there, we also find that we can persevere, we can endure, and we give thanks in the midst of all of that little while of suffering, whatever it is, difficulties, frustrations. We thank God that even in the midst of that, that God has not deserted us, that He is ready to pour out His power to guide us in our thinking, to guide us in our thoughts, so that our lives represent and match His life in the midst of that difficulty. But we've got to devote ourselves to, his, to that devotion. Number three, as we think about when frustrations are high, uh, number three, do God's work diligently. Now, do God's work diligently. Now, what happens in my life is that when difficulties come, I want to, I want to like close the garage door and hunker down. You know what I mean? But, and we, we, and we may tend to neglect no more ministries that we should be involved in. But just because frustrations, difficulty, or stress is high doesn't mean we close the door and we hunker down and we say, okay, I'm not going to do this anymore. No, we should be still diligently working with God because we are co-laborers together with Him as 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1 says, that we are co-laborers with Him. We are working together 
with God. Isn't that cool? The scripture says that they're not working for him. We're not working behind him, above him, around him. We are working together with him. So when you're doing ministry, guess what? You're, you are representing, you are ministering to that person as God ministers to them. So he's doing it through us. Isn't that a cool thought that, we're, that we are co-labors together with him? You see, not knowing which way to turn doesn't mean that we're to sit with folded hands and do nothing. This is, will, will only add to more indecision and more confusion and may, you know, accentuate the frustrations. While we should delay acting on big decisions, yes, give more time to devotions, yes, we must not stop working for God. We must do everything and we must do something for God. It might just be that in the process of ministry, we see something that we haven't seen before. We're like, wow. Or in the process of doing, the person sees something and says, hey, I've noticed this. Thank you for what you're doing for me, but I've noticed this. And have you thought about this for your life? It just may be that God begins to minister back in the doing of ministering for him that he ministers back to you and says and gives you the answer and you think, aha, he just gave me the spiritual V8. And, and I see it for the first time. He's added, he's added more light to the substance. And I'm able to see in the midst of that darkness that I haven't seen before. All because we refused to, to not work for God. We, we continued to diligently serve Him and work for Him with all our heart. Lending a helping hand to, to the less fortunate person of our life, whatever that less fortunate is. Lending a helping hand or visiting someone or knocking on their door or, or calling them up and praying for them over the phone or, or, or sending them a note or reaching out to someone to let them know that they're loved and they're cared. Uh, ministering to those who are sick or those who are elderly. Attending church faithfully, being a part of a church family, sharing Christ with others. All those things. You know, the Lord helps us and it bring, all those things can help bring direction to our life all in the midst of us dealing with our frustrations. There's no need to run and hide. I've seen it over and over and over again. Persons so active in church, all of a sudden they disappear for a month. And you're very concerned. Where, where are they at? And you call them and say, oh, I'm dealing with this difficulty and I just don't want to face people. That's when you should face people. We need to embrace you. We need to hug you. We need... What, pre coronavirus. We need to hug you. We need to kiss you. We need to love on you. And we, we, need, we need to let you know that you're not in this difficulty alone, that we're here to help you. It's so good to know. I remember uh, Pastor AJ, when, when I was making the transition, I've shared this many times before, and, and I ran into him, and, and I didn't know he knew me, but he knew me. And I walked up to him and I said, Pastor AJ, I, I really enjoyed your message today. It was right what I needed because I was attending his church at the time. And, uh, and he put his hand on me and he says, I believe in you. And I'm thinking, you really? <laughs> he didn't know me. But we got to know each other. In fact, the chairs you're sitting in is a product of his ministry and his church. Many, much of the sound system we first started was a product of his ministry given to us. All sorts of things that he did to help us get established as a new church when we had nothing. All because he said he believed in me. 
And that can make a difference. When you're going through frustration and you walk into someone's life like a church family and they say, we love you and I believe in you, it can help you hold your head high and say, you know, I'm not having to face this difficulty alone. I've got a friend and I'm going to call her. I'm going to call him and I'm going to tell them what I'm going through and I'm going to get some prayer, elicit some prayer support here. And I, I, I'm going I'm to accomplish greatness through this with the help of others because we're co-labors together with God. Do God's work diligently, even in the midst of frustration and difficulty. And number four and last is depend on God for direction. He said, that's nothing profound. I know it's not. But it is a, a, a reminder that we all need to hear every day. I remember the first vehicle I bought that I didn't pray about. You know what happened to that vehicle? I couldn't make the payment, hardly. I was scrounging every month to make that payment. I had more difficulty with that car than I ever had in a car in my life. It was a car that I, I really think stuck its tongue out at me every time I looked at it. You know, it was one of the, it drove good, it gave us good miles, but it just wasn't right. You see, when we make and do things on our own and we're not seeking God's guidance, even in the purchases of our life, it can come back to haunt us and frustrate us. We must wait on the Lord and on His direction. In fact, you find that in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6. Back up to verse 5 because it's hard to break those two verses out of its context. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. Do not rely on your own understanding. Think about him, or in other words, acknowledge him in all your ways. And he will guide you on the right path, or he will direct you on the right path. So we acknowledge him in all our, his, you know, we acknowledge him in all our ways, and he shall direct our paths. You know, that's a promise. That's not, hey, when I get around to it or when I get good and ready. It's a promise. He says, if you, if you acknowledge me in all your ways, that means if you acknowledge me even in your frustrations, even in your difficulty, even in your confusion, even in your anger, even in all of the complications, the mess that we've created, the brokenness that we've had happen in our life because we tried to handle it on our own, if we, we will acknowledge Him in all of that, He says, I will direct your path. I will give you the direction that will lead you down the right path. God's all about the right path. He's never about a detour, and He's never about doing, going down the wrong path. He wants us to serve Him with all our heart, and He wants us to serve Him on the, in, in the area of the right path, the, the way of righteousness, as some call it. And so we depend on God for that direction, as Proverbs chapter 3, verse 6 says. You know, if we, we, depend, if we depend on ourselves too much, I can promise you failure is going to happen, and I can just... If I could have taken pictures in my life and framed them of what I looked like and every failure I had, now it probably wouldn't even be enough room in this room, on the walls in this room, 
But you could capture what I'm talking about. You could do the same in your own mind. In fact, you're probably already taking a snapshot of your life in your failure. You know that. And you framed it in your mind. So, so what was the key in the midst of all that failure? I promise you, it probably will go back to this. And we'll admit together, you know, it was, a, it was during that failure in my life that I did not, you know, depend on God. I didn't seek His direction. I did it myself. And when that happens, frustration is there. It's almost like, now, God, I'm frustrated. He's like, duh. You know, duh. Okay, now I got you. Let's see what we can do with it. So when, when we don't know which way to turn, we must put our faith and our confidence and our trust into God depending on His direction. We must believe that God is alive and He's alive in our life and He is concerned about us and he's concerned about where we are, even though it's our fault that we're there. And yet, we be assured that greater is he that is within you than he that's in the world. You find that in 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Greater is he that is within you and within me, within all of us, and then he that's in the world. So we must depend on God for that guidance, and we will be healed in our frustration. Now, I've said all of this and put all this together because you can apply it to difficulties, you can apply it to confusion, you can apply it to frustration, but if you want healing through your, through your frustrations, then go back to some of these areas that we've mentioned this morning and evaluate where you are in those areas. You know, it might just be that you need to back up and punt in the decision you're about to make that seems to be uh, big or it might just be that you've, you realize you've neglected the devotion that you need to have and you need to draw a little bit nearer to God to see God in His greatness more than what you already know. Or you may need to, to stop looking inwardly and start looking outwardly and begin that work you've, you've committed to do, working together with God. Or it might just be that there's a direction codependency you have in yourself and God and you need to put the dependency back in God's hands. God is not our co-pilot. He is our pilot. And we should be dependent upon Him truthfully in all ways. So depending on God brings healing in the midst of frustration. So I said all this this morning. Is there something that you need to admit to God? Not out loud in the personal privacy of your own life and heart? Is there something you need to admit to God? And is there, is there something that you need to commit to God? First of all, admit it. And second of all, commit to it. There's two different actions there I'm asking you to do. Sometimes it's hard to admit when we're wrong. But there's nothing hard to admit to God. He already knows it all. He's waiting for us to kind of release it from our own heart. So let's admit it and say, this is where I failed. This is why I'm here. And I admit this. Now, God, I'm now committing this as I work together with you from this day forward. And as a result of 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, he says, I'm going to brush you with a wonderful artistic beauty that I'm going to establish you more than you've ever been established. I'm going to firmly place you right where you need to be 
you're going to know that you're now on a concrete, firm foundation and you're no longer on sinking sand. And I am going to strengthen you so that you realize that the strength you have is nothing about physiological makeup and DNA of your life. It is about the DNA spiritually of God being transferred into us. And he says, I'm going to also not only establish and strengthen you, I'm going to support you. So when you have your leaning moments of your life, or you tend to fall backward, I'm going to be there to catch you. And I'm going to wrap my arms around you that you know that when you start wavering to the right or wavering to the left, that you know that I am there to guide you to stay on that right path. And in all of that, you'll understand restoration and healing through your frustration. So is there something you need to admit to God? And second of all, is there something you need to commit to Him this day to win over your frustration? Let's pray together. Father, we, we thank You that even in the midst of frustrations and difficulties of our life, that you are, your presence is, is there in the midst of all of that. Even when we bring displeasure and we dishonor you as holy God, you're still there. It doesn't change who you are because we do things wrong. It doesn't change your love for us because we may have loved you less at a certain point in our life that you are constant and you remain, that you are the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and that you, you as God is not, it will never be dependent upon the actions of your people. And Father, I thank you that even in the history that is recorded in your written word, the failings and the difficulties of the Israelites from the very beginning, you still saw them through and you raised up the remnant to serve you and honor you and we become that remnant today to serve you and honor you and even in the midst of all the wrongness of our life, you are still God and thank you that we can call upon you. But also thank you today that as we admit whatever it is in our own personal life, and we commit in our service to you that you're a God to give us victory and to help us overcome whatever it is in our life. Father, thank you for that empowerment. Thank you for that refreshment, the restoration, the healing, and being able to see the brightness of your light in the midst of the difficulty and darkness of our life. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.